Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of the Scoring Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We've got a really cool episode for you today. I'm going to bring on Andrew Parmentier, the founder of Ducks Rising, an NIL collective that offers fans a way to directly support their favorite athletes in Eugene, whether it's football, basketball, they've got several sports going I recently got to know Andrew and he told me his story and the story of Ducks Rising kind of getting off the ground and I was fascinated. I told him I just had to get him on the podcast. This is sort of a bonus episode since I already had the uh, the podcast with Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal come out earlier this week. And as some of you uh, might have seen on social media, I've been teasing a very exciting development for the podcast. That news will come out next week um, on Tuesday morning. I'll drop an episode that's giving more detail about the changes. So Look out for that. Some very, very exciting stuff. For now, though, let's jump into my conversation with Andrew. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. Right. I am thrilled to bring on Andrew Parmentier, uh, the founder of Ducks Rising, a person who is very well connected in the world of Oregon sports. Andrew, thank you for coming on today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I said in the intro that you know we got to we got to talking a few weeks ago when you told me a bit about the launch of Ducks Rising, uh, your venture into the NIL space, and it's just kind of a story that I really wanted to tell and and have be told. So I just said that I, I had to bring you on the podcast. Before we get to that chapter of your story, why don't you give me a little bit of background about yourself? I know you spent some time on Wall Street. Um, just tell me a bit of a little bit about yourself and give an idea of um, you know up until you know, the idea of Ducks Rising came about? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in Austin, Texas, uh, stone's throw away from uh, the UT campus. Um, went to school at Oregon. Enjoyed my time there. And in so many ways, I feel like it was just a great experience and, and shaped me, um, you know, as a young person. And, you know, right after school, I left to go take a job working for a financial institution in London. And, you know, that part of my life really lasted 20 or so years, worked in investment banking and private equity. And when COVID hit, I was currently my family. I have a wife and a daughter who just turned 12. Um, we were in Dallas and when COVID hit, you know, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and said, you know, this isn't Dallas wasn't necessarily where we wanted to be, you know, during mm-hmm. that crazy period of time. So we decamped to Boulder, Colorado, which is where I'm sitting today. And um, I really enjoyed having Colorado as part of the PAC 12 because, you know, I could see, <laughs> you know, I had season tickets and I could see uh-huh. all the teams, you know, that I love come through and, um, but yeah, um, you know, I've been here since um, 2022, which was right about the same time that we launched uh, Ducks Rising. It was kind of a, a passion, what started as a passion project for me. 
Yeah, so I want to get more into that. How did the idea of Ducks Rising come about? What was your inspiration? And really, how difficult was it to get it off the ground? Um, and, and what's it kind of been like operating in this new world of, of name, image, and likeness? Yeah, I mean, great, great questions. Um, you know, I guess I look, you know, working in a really highly competitive, you know, environment that kind of Wall Street provides really shaped me in a lot of ways. And so when NIL happened, um, you know, I didn't uh, really know what Oregon was going to have to offer. But the one thing that I did know was that, you know, I had really enjoyed mentoring student athletes, which I had done, um, you know, over the last 15 years or so. So mm-hmm. I loved the idea of being able to connect with young people to mentor and I also wanted to make sure, you know, as you know, I'm a huge Oregon sports fan like yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just wanted to make sure that Oregon was set up for success. And when I found out that Division Street was launching, um, you know, kind of at the higher end of the market, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, what was really interesting to me was doing something <clears throat> that was fan, fan driven where mm-hmm. fans could, you know, contribute on a monthly basis and, and, and help to fund um, NIL deals. And so that was kind of the basis of what, of what we launched with Ducks Rising. I guess we should have started here. I tried to explain a little bit in the intro, but I'm, I mean, I couldn't explain as well as you can. But can you walk me through Ducks Rising? Obviously, a lot of fans think about, when they think about Oregon NIL funds, they think about Division Street, which is largely a Phil Knight, you know, and Nike venture. What are the major differences between Ducks Rising and Division Street? And what are some of the similarities? Well, I'll start with the similarities. Um, I would say the similarities are we, we deeply care about the student athlete experience at Oregon and mm-hmm. both entities are set up to serve student, student athletes and, and provide opportunities for them to grow kind of away from campus. Um, you know, like I said, we are membership driven. And in the early days, um, you know, we, the early days, 18 months ago, um, <laughs> we try, we launched, um, you know, a website and, you know, really had the idea that content was going to be important. So monthly subscribers mm-hmm. could, you know, get access to, you know, interviews with players that we had signed. And, um, you know, there was a forum on our website, but what we found was that it was just too difficult um, to kind of run everything through a website and to send out Zoom links for athlete calls. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to do the social, you know, promotion on Instagram and Twitter so um, we recently pivoted to um, partner with a firm called Lockerverse, which you know mm-hmm. you and I have talked about in the past. But really cool platform started by um, three guys from Stanford. Two of them were student athletes, and um, you know it's a it's a sports technology startup in California that's backed by some of the biggest names in sports, mm-hmm. and you know, we were able to move our entire operation onto their platform. And for Mm -hmm. us, what that means is that, you know, when fans come, they can sign up, um, you know, for the Ducks Rising community on Lockerverse. Once they get behind the paywall, it feels a lot like Discord, you know, Mm -hmm. so there are different channels to chat in. We can, we can host live video, we can post uh, pre-recorded videos and really start to create some connective tissue 
among all of the members um, that we have. And so it feels like Lockerverse, this partnership with Lockerverse, it's a huge deal. You and I have, like you said, have talked about it before. It's very exciting, the kind of possibilities that it brings. It seems like it just sort of streamlined everything in a sense. If uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like now fans just download this Lockerverse app if they get behind the paywall by donating. I, I forget what the tiers are. I think it starts at, what, $20 a month? Is that yep. what it is? To yeah, it starts at 20, 20 bucks a month and... Then it just opens up this world for them for, you know, they can have interviews, discussions with some of the players, stuff like that. Can you talk, walk me through a little bit more of what they're accessing there? Yeah, so basically, you know, it's, it's really simple. Um, we take the membership dollars that come in the front door and we use the, those dollars to sign NIL deals with athletes. Mm-hmm. And the way that we structure those NIL deals is that, you know, the athletes – for their obligation, um, they give us an interview or kind of like a 30 minute, ask me anything type of session, um, on Lockerverse, which is great because, um, fans can get to know them off the field, hear a little bit of the backstory and those types of things. So, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, in tech parlance, it's, you know, it's a, it's a flywheel. The more money we get in, the more deals we sign, the more deals we Mm -hmm. sign, the more exclusive content we can have behind the paywall, which further drives membership. So, you know, I really believe that, um, you know, for a collective to be successful beyond the altruistic desire of fans to kind of help out their program, they really do need to be given something, of course. Um, you know, that they can't get anywhere else. I mean, it just means mm-hmm. that there will be stickier, you know, memberships, less churn. And, you know, ultimately over a period of time, you'll be able to grow. So... Right now, who are some of the athletes that you have working with you? Is it mostly fo- – I believe it's mostly football, but do you have any non-football um, athletes? And who are some of the names that people can, you know, quote-unquote, have access to if they if they sign up for Ducks Rising? Well, we are um, – after this interview, we are going to post um, interviews with Tez Johnson and Terrence Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both interviewed recently by Quincy Avery, who has a really mm-hmm. cool podcast called QB Unplugged. And he had a ball interviewing uh, both of these guys. So those interviews will be up. But I mean, gosh, we've signed so many guys, um, you know, probably 18 to 22 guys somewhere in that range um, last year. And we're kind of uh, gearing up for. Uh, re-signing a lot of these players, um, you know, right now for the remainder of the 2024 year. So how does that signing go with a player? Do you have them on like a, you know, a yearly contract? Is it on like a, oh, if you do three interviews or three ask me anything, how do you, is it different for each player? How do you kind of stipulate that? Yeah, I mean, we kind of have a standard, you know, kind of rack rate for, you know, player interviews. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the case of Tez, you know, for example, um, Connor Soley and Tez both joined our board of directors uh, this year. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll be working with them over the duration of the 2024 calendar year. And, um, you know, so it varies. I mean, some um, athletes, we will sign a deal with them for an appearance and, you know, some will be kind of longer duration where we'll ask, you know, a multitude of things of them over the course of the year to fulfill those obligations. 
So going back to you know the conversation about Division Street, you told me how you're similar with them. How are you? What are the major differences? I mean, they don't. I don't. From what I know, Division Street does not have a platform where they're, um, you know, setting up this type of you know engagement with these players. They're much. I don't know if I want to say bigger, but it seems like they're more bigger picture stuff. They've got the the deals with you know the Goat app and with Nike, and they're making these ducks of a feather um, clothing brand stuff. How's it? You know, what are the major differences between you two? Well, first and foremost, what Division Street does for our student athletes is simply incredible. And yeah. um, you know, we I would just say that we have we have a different focus. I mean, you know, as you said, we're you know, you can join Ducks Rising for 20 bucks a month up to $250 a month. Mm-hmm. And it's very kind of fan-focused, fo- content-driven, whereas um, Division Street has done just a great job creating, um, you know, access to limited edition shoes and mm-hmm. apparel to generate funds. And then they work with, you know, obviously Phil Knight and a number of other businesses um, you know, to fund the rest of their operation. But, you know, we've, we've been, uh, proud to support them. I've got a couple pairs of their shoes and, mm-hmm. um, it's just really cool what they're able to do. I mean, nobody else in college football, um, you know, I, I, that I know of can execute, um, the way that division street is, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, no collective can sign every player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, across all sports. And there's always a need for additional revenue to kind of come into the ecosystem to create opportunities for student athletes. Are there opportunities or instances in the future or have there already been where you two have worked together, your Ducks Rising and Division Street to, you know, work on stuff together to better it all? Or is it kind of you're just alongside each other in this venture? Yeah, I would say we're more alongside of each other. Um, Rosemary and her team at Division Street were really helpful to us when we launched as we were kind of socializing ideas and ways that we could work in a complementary fashion to them. Um, you know, we've crossed over and, and signed some players that were also signed with Division Street. But, you know, I think for the most part, you know, we kind of coexist and, and work in parallel um, with one another toward a similar end goal. Okay. I want to get to a, a a bigger picture level here. Back in July of 2021, name, image, and likeness was approved for college athletes. Since then, you know, what has, what do you think? I'd say the NCAA, I don't know if, you know, the NCAA is what's perceived to be the, the governing body here, or if there even is one for NIL, but what have quote unquote, we gotten right so far? And contrarily, what do you think we've gotten wrong with the business of NIL? Well, I think it's really easy to say that the thing that we've gotten right is, and as, as you know, I'm a huge advocate for student athletes being able to participate in the revenue that they help to generate. Mm-hmm. Um, and just by simply enabling that to happen, um, allowing athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness has created opportunities for student athletes that I think average fans may not truly understand. I mean, there's definitely a perception. And I was talking to Bucky Irving about this, um, you know, recently, you know, that athletes are kind of doing better financially, you know, mm-hmm. than a lot of the fans of, you know, various programs. And mm-hmm. that's just not the case. Um, 
you know, I would say that fans really need to recognize that without the student athletes on the field, there are no media rights deals and none of this, none of this takes place. Right. So the simple fact that they're able to get paid um, is a, is a huge step in the right direction. The thing that I think needs to be cleaned up is the lack of transparency and clarity around the rules of the road. I mean, I just can't think of any industry where the lack of a strong governing body and strong, you know, kind of, you know, bumpers, um, you know, is a, is a positive thing, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think everybody would benefit from clarity regardless of who that comes from. um, If NIL is going to continue to progress over the coming years. So what does that look like though? I mean, does that, the NCAA stepping up and saying, Hey, we're going to be the governing body here. Is it a, an outside party that come in? Like how, you know, what does the next step look like if you're going to say, all right, this is headed in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a, a really, really good question and a really hard <laughs> one to answer. Yeah. Um, you know, Chip Kelly's had a lot of really good thoughts, you know, in this mm-hmm. regard. I mean, as you know, the big 10 and the sec, you know, recently announced a working group to, you know, come up with some recommendations on this very question or, or set of questions. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I guess the one thing that I would say is that if it gets to the point where Congress has to act, God help mm-hmm. us all, because, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that, you know, they're in tune at all. I mean, having watched some of the congressional hearings, I mean, they just really do not understand Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's happening at, at universities and why this is beneficial and, um, you know, kind of what the potential, you know, pitfalls are. So, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, smart enough to know, you know, kind of what the end result is going to be, but I think it would be a great start for the two largest conferences um, to survey the coaches and, you know, people involved with collectives at those schools and, and kind of come up with some best practices and some guidance um, and maybe work in concert with the NCAA to firm up some of the rules. Do you think the, um, you know, extravagance of the transfer portal over the past couple of years, do you think that's been helpful to your business? Or do you think it's been largely hurtful? Well, I, I don't really think about our business, um, you know, per se, because, you know, we're not interested in generating revenue, you know, like mm-hmm. a traditional kind of for-profit entity would be. So I really think of it in terms of, is it good for Oregon? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I think the unequivocal answer there is absolutely it's, it's good for yeah. Oregon because the investments that have been made over many, many years have created, I think, the strongest foundation in all of college football. Mm-hmm. And what Coach Lanning has been able to do with this staff and, you know, promoting what from within and, and the retention of coaches and the stability that he's created has made Oregon, you know, if not the top destination, one of the top couple of destinations um, in, in football. And so I just kind of think of it, you know, in terms of they're reaping what they've sowed, you know, over mm-hmm. the last several years. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they certainly deserve the opportunity, um, 
you know, to have top portal talent come visit Eugene and, you know, make the determination as to whether or not it's the right fit for them. You're, you're obviously close with Dan. You're close with Marshall Malco. We've seen over the past, you know, couple of weeks, actually specifically, I forget um, the name of the Boston College coach who left for the NFL um, for a coordinator job, but you see also Chip Kelly stepped down from UCLA to take a coordinator job at Ohio State. It feels like, you know, the wear and tear of, you know, the transfer portal, recruiting, NIL, conference realignment, all of this stuff that's going on is really having, you know, uh, an effect on on some coaches that are just kind of getting tired out. You know, sorry for the the long-winded question, but you know Dan really well. What makes him so well equipped to handle all of this? And do you kind of think, not in him specifically, but in the future that we might see more of these coaches start to, quote-unquote, tire out and look for different jobs, whether it's NFL or just, you know, something something else? Yeah, yeah, it's a a great question. You know, again, I would go back to you know, Coach Lanning's words, um, you know, when the Alabama vacancy, you know, kind of came up. I mean, he said, you know, I have everything that I need at Oregon. And I think Mm -hmm. if you unpack that a little bit, what, you know, you would find is that you really need a multitude of pieces in place Mm -hmm. and working in concert with one another to create, um, you know, a successful environment, um, you know, to achieve success. I mean, you need, you know, the Jaqua Center. You need, you know, uh, guys like Marshall are, I mean, he's worth his weight in gold. I mean, the Mm -hmm. amount of stuff that these guys have to deal with is incredible. And the uncertainty and the changing landscape and, you know, Coach Lane talks about, you know, adaptability and, and kind of building that into the ethos of, you know, his program. I think that, that, that it's all true. And so any coach that is at a university that doesn't have all of these individual pieces working in concert with one another is going to find success elusive, you know, Mm -hmm. ultimately, I mean, you, you need to have you know, NIL, you need to have a really strong recruiting department. You need to have departmental resources and student academic and mental health services and all of these things. Um, And I'm probably just scratching the surface on, you know, what, you know, those individual items are, Um, you know, but at the end of the day, top football talent, um, you know, they're, they're sophisticated, you know, they're going to Mm -hmm. visit these schools and they can suss out really quickly kind of who has all the pieces in place to enable their success. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that Oregon's done really well. Mm -hmm. You may, may or may not be able to answer this. You may or may not want to answer this, but just from a, you know, a, a national perspective, I think a lot of fans are so, misconstrued about the idea of NIL just because they see some of the numbers pop up that we have no way of knowing whether they're true or not. So someone like Nico, I'm going to try and pronounce his last name, Yamaleava, um, reportedly signs with Tennessee for what, $8 million two years ago or last year. Someone like Jaden Rashada, there was the number of like $13 million thrown out. When you see stories like that or reports like that, 
what do you think? Because I mean, you, I'm not going to ask you to get into the numbers for Ducks Rising, but you know a sense of more than the average fan of what type of money is being thrown around. Um, is it possible that there's deals out there that are that big, or is that just a really big misunderstanding from fans and media members trying to cover the sport? You know, the short answer is I don't know the accuracy <laughs> of a lot of those numbers, but I do know that um, they represent a fraction of a percent of the opportunities that are created for student athletes, you know, across the country. And Mm -hmm. when you take into account the hours in a week that student athletes are, you know, committed to, you know, practice rehab, you know, all of this kind of stuff, academic services, community service obligations, et cetera, they don't have the time to go get a job at the Oregon bookstore, Mm -hmm. you know, and, the annual stipend that they get is paltry um, mm-hmm. when you consider the the realistic expenses associated with being a student. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you want to have a little bit of spending money to like go out and grab a bite to eat, or you want cable or high speed internet, or you know, kind of whatever it is, that money's got to come from somewhere. And you know, I just feel so strongly that student athletes need to be able to participate in the revenue that they generate for, um, for universities. You know, I'm happy for these kids, you know, if those numbers are, you know, are accurate, um, you know, to say that they haven't earned it is crazy. When you look at the tens of millions of dollars in media rights deals, you know, alone that are flowing into, you know, universities, but the average student athlete, you know, across the country, you know, you know, NIL deals are really significant for them. It means that they Mm -hmm. can fly a parent out to a game or, you know, just, uh, you know, and, you know, some of the stories that, you know, I've encountered working with student athletes at, at Oregon, um, you know, some kids come from really tough circumstances and, you know, they're sending money home or, you know, everybody's kind of got a different life story. So, um, you know, I would definitely encourage people to, you know, not think that, you know, these students are, you know, pulling down like huge numbers because it's just simply not the case. And every opportunity that we can create for them is really valuable. Other, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be creating it. So looking into the future, two years from now, if things go well, what does NIL look like five years from now? What does it look like? Can you kind of like, if, if things are hitting the checkpoints that need to, and this whole venture is a success, not just for you, but for the, you know, the well being of student athletes in the sport, what does this look like in the NIL space? Is that a, a governing body comes in and kind of sets the lands, the landmarks that we talked about? Maybe. I mean, there are a lot of court cases that could provide, you know, some clarity in the short term. I mean, the single biggest question in my mind that's outstanding is whether or not student athletes are considered or should be considered employees, you know, of the university. And if they are, do those employees have the right to collectively bargain um, like we see in other major sports? Mm-hmm. you know, which would, you know, theoretically put in place salary caps and, you know, base level, um, you know, kind of payments to athletes and, and those types of things. Um, so once that chip falls, I think everything else will, you know, kind of 
quickly fall into place because it's a um, it's just a really really big big question. As you know, right now they're not considered um, employees, and you know the National Labor Relations Board has got cases, a couple of cases, you know, out there, and it's been determined in some jurisdictions that you know student athletes are employees, but that is the question that's going to need to be answered at a national level. What does this look like if things go poorly over the next two to five to 10 years? <clears throat> Anything in my mind that limits, um, you know, I'm a free market guy. Um, mm -hmm. No surprise there. So, you know, I think that, you know, top talent should get, you know, top dollar and, you know, people should be able to, you know, earn off the, the sweat of their own brow, so to speak. And anything that is a step backwards in that regard will be an utter failure, um, you know, in my mind. But, you know, I don't think that that will happen. The genie's kind of out of the bottle. Mm -hmm. So the idea that student athletes, you know, wouldn't be able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, I, I don't know how, how realistic that is. But um, like I said earlier, I mean, certainly we need more, um, you know, more clarity on, you know, what is, you know, what is permissible, what's not permissible. And, you know, that needs to come from a body who's got credibility to not only announce new regulations, but also have the ability to enforce those. All right. We're going to wrap it up there, Andrew. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I find this stuff fascinating and I think that the listeners will too. It's just such a you know, a major part of the sport that we love right now. And I don't think a lot of people, myself included, really understand the inner workings of it. So thank you a lot for coming on and um, kind of talking through it with us. How can fans help support you and support what you're doing for the athletes? Yeah, I mean, go to um, ducksrising.com, uh, become okay. a member, uh, download the Lockerverse app, uh, we'll be posting more and more on social media about Ducks Rising on Lockerverse, but it's just really amazing technology, a great team, and we're really excited to be partnered with them. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited about it. I know that um, it's it's just really good things for the athletes in the end. So once again, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks, Zach. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Again, thank you to Andrew for uh, coming on, giving us a deeper look at the NIL space and kind of um, just a new look at that world. I'm so fascinated. I really wasn't just saying that. I'm very fascinated by that world because it's it's so powerful and it drives so much of the sport. And I think that fans and you know media members as well, myself included, just have a somewhat of a misunderstanding about it and just don't really know all of the inner workings and of course, I still don't know all of the inner workings, but I feel like with Andrew's help, we learned a little bit more and got some of those misconceptions out of the way. Again, um, next episode will come out on Tuesday morning. That is a big, very exciting episode. Surprise to come. Um, just really, really cool stuff going on. So look out for that. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.